Welcome once again to Lato's Law. Here's Steve Lato. Bill tipped me off to a story involving the Supreme Court, and I had not seen this one yet. It's a case that the Supreme Court is right now considering, and it's a, it's a mind-bender, as I like to say. U.S. Supreme Court hears Northwest Georgia murder case. So it's a murder case out of Georgia that is up on review with the Supreme Court of the United States. And you'll hear why, because it's kind of unusual in just a second. From Rome News Tribune, and Hunter Riggle wrote this, whether a man who killed his adopted mother at her West Cobb home more than a decade ago can be retried was debated before the U.S. Supreme Court this week. Highest court heard the case a year after the Georgia Supreme Court ruled that the man who was convicted for the 2012 murder could be retried after previous verdicts in the case were declared void. Though he was found not guilty by reason of insanity on one charge, the state Supreme Court ruled that he was not shielded from retrial by the principle of double jeopardy, which protects an accused person from being tried twice for the same crime. Now, the Fifth Amendment contains a double jeopardy clause, and it is a little confusing, but it does say, no person shall be subject for the same offense to be twice put in jeopardy. And everyone understands that to mean to be put on trial for a crime. And so a lot of people say, but Steve, I've heard that somebody got convicted, they, they appealed it, they won the appeal, and they retried him. Well, yeah, if you get convicted and you ask for a second trial, they'll give you a second trial. But if you get found not guilty by a jury and the judge bangs his gavel and makes that the ruling of the court, that's supposed to be it. But there is a twist here. And now here's the thing. I don't agree with the Georgia Supreme Court. And we'll see what happens. But the man's defense lawyers, with assistance from other firms and a University of North Carolina law professor, petitioned the U.S. Supreme Court to hear the case, and the court agreed to hear it. Uh, the state of Georgia is on the other side of this, and they're arguing that the man can be retried. So there was a murder that took place in 2012. The man was 18 years old at the time, and the way he acted around the time of the murder made it very clear that he probably had issues. Okay, He had a history of schizophrenia, and he said he believed his mother had been trying to poison him for several years, and then he also had other delusions. And these are the things that the court was told, that, that these are pretty much accepted by everybody. So at trial, a jury returned verdicts that basically conflicted with each other. They found him guilty, but mentally ill, of felony murder. And then they found him not guilty, by reason of insanity, of malice murder. So they said that he was guilty under one, but not guilty under the other. And so the judge sentenced him to life in prison on the one where he was found guilty. So the Georgia Supreme Court in 2020 looked at that and said, you, that, that, that doesn't make any sense. And the Supreme Court of Georgia threw the verdicts out. They threw out the conviction and the acquittal. And the chief justice then wrote, it is not legally possible for an individual to simultaneously be insane and not insane during a single criminal episode against a single victim, even if the episode gives rise to more than one crime. So in a ruling in 2022, a judge wrote that because the two verdicts have been found in conflict, which they call repugnant to the law, and therefore void, they did not protect him from being retried under the double jeopardy standard. Simply stated, a repugnant verdict of the sort rendered here is no verdict at all, the court wrote. Therefore, you can put the man back on trial. 
So he's been incarcerated for quite a length of time now. Last year's ruling sent the case back to Cobb Superior Court, where an attorney representing him said that after the ruling, his office began getting calls from other lawyers interested in helping because they heard about this and they thought it was a travesty. So meanwhile, um, they partnered up with a Supreme Court clinic at the University of North Carolina to petition the U.S. Supreme Court to hear the case. And in written arguments, the man's lawyers contend that precedent clearly protects him from another trial. This attempt to avoid a constitutional requirement through an innovative interpretation of state law must fail. Although states have brought authority to determine when a verdict is void or a mistrial occurs, the Double Jeopardy Clause limits that power. A state may not circumvent the clause by declaring that an otherwise valid acquittal is void simply because it is inconsistent with another verdict. Meanwhile, in their arguments, Georgia Attorney General and Solicitor General said there was never a true verdict in the case. Georgia law requires juries to avoid affirmative contradictory findings, and here the jury did not do so, the prosecutors wrote. The jury gave two answers to a single question on the face of its verdict, and so did not determine his mental state. That means there was no verdict, which means there was no end to jeopardy, which means there is no double jeopardy. Now, here's the problem. Mistakes were made, and they were made during the trial. I've tried cases with juries, both criminal and civil, and jurors are told jury instructions. Here is what you are to do when you go back there and deliberate. And we want you to come out with a verdict and answer the following questions. A verdict form can be as simple as, who wins? You could have a civil jury verdict form that simply says, do you find for the plaintiff? Do you find for the defendant? If you find for the plaintiff, how much? So in essence, it's a two-part question. Plaintiff or defendant, if plaintiff, how much? That can be it. That, I, I've seen jury verdict forms that simple. Okay? Now, I've also seen jury verdict forms where they're asked to fill out a questionnaire that's 75 pages long. Not in one of my cases, but I've heard about it in other cases. Very, very complex litigation. You're determined this question, and then give us an answer. And then look at this question and give us an answer. And look at this. And then it'll start going into, if you find yes here, you must then examine this. If you find no, skip the next question. And so somebody preparing this verdict form, and it was probably done with the plaintiff, excuse me, the prosecution, and the defense working together. And quite often, the parties will kick an idea back and forth, and they'll hammer out a jury verdict form. And then when both sides agree with it, they will present it to the court, and the court will then look at it and go, okay, this is the form we're going to use in this case. So somebody should have looked at the jury verdict form and said, wait, it's possible that the jury could say yes here and no here on the same question of, is this defendant sane, or were they at the time of the crime, Right? So somebody should have spotted that and fixed it by either explaining that if you find yes here, you got to find yes here. These, these two answers must match. And so somebody missed that. And it sounds like all three of them did. That is the prosecution, the defense, and the judge. But the problem is that the judge used that form and the jury came back on it. And they came back with what appears to be a contradictory result. And so that's not the jury's fault. 
The jury is back. They're doing their best to follow the instructions. And they've got a form that says you can answer this question any way you want. You can answer this question any way you want. And for whatever reason, they decided, well, we think he's guilty of this, but not this. And somehow it works out to where he's mentally ill here, but not here. But that's not the jury's fault. That is not the jury's fault. So keeping in mind the concept of double jeopardy, the man was put on trial. The jury returned a verdict. Boom, it's over. That's it. So I'll be surprised if the Supreme Court comes back and says, you know something, you can retry the case again because mistakes were made by the court and by the prosecutor and by the defendant, but the guy was put on trial and a jury returned a verdict. That would be surprising to me. So I can tell you that I've never had a jury really screw up a verdict in a case of mine. But I've seen it happen. And a very good friend of mine who does the same kind of law I do uh, had a trial in Wayne County. I went down and watched part of it because I just happened to have some free time. And, hey, he's in trial. I'm going to go watch him. And I went down and watched him put on this trial. And his client had bought a defective car. And the car was very, very defective. And the manufacturer had said, no, it's not. And they refused to buy the car back. And so they went to trial in front of a jury in Wayne County, Michigan, which is the county that Detroit is located in. And um, the jury verdict form, which I saw, said there are causes of action for the Lemon Law, the Magnuson Moss Warranty Act, and the Uniform Commercial Code for Breach of Warranty, and the Consumer Protection Act at the time, which was a good cause of action. Basically, four different causes of action. And so the thing is that if you've got a good Lemon Law claim, the Magnuson Moss Warranty Act claim is also good, but they overlap. Same with the UCC and same with the Consumer Protection Act. And all three of those simply say that you're entitled to get your money back in essence. So if you win on one, you could win on all four, but it's the same thing. You're entitled to get your money back. And so in the case of my friend, the jury got really, really angry because they thought it was wrong the manufacturer did what they did. Because my friend talked to some jurors afterwards. And so the verdict form simply had a page for each cause of action. Lemon Law, UCC, MAGMOS, Consumer Protection Act. And it said, with respect to this law, to whom do you find in favor of? And they'd say, the plaintiff. How much do you award the plaintiff? Full cost of the vehicle. Turn the page. MAGMOS, plaintiff. Full cost of the vehicle. Boom. UCC, breach of warranty, full cost of the vehicle. Turn the page. Guess what they did in the Consumer Protection Act? (laughs) Full cost of the vehicle, boom. And at the end, somebody in the jury took the trouble to add it all up and say, here's what the client gets. And I believe, I'm trying to remember what the fifth thing was, but they awarded the plaintiff five times the value of the car. Now, here's the problem. They're not entitled to get five times the value of the car. They're entitled to get a full refund, plus their attorney fees and court costs. And when the jury returned this verdict, of course, it's a win for the plaintiff. The attorney for the manufacturer went insane. Not, not legally insane, but <laughs> he, was, he was not happy. He was livid. And um, the jury was trying to prove a point, trying to make a statement. But this is an example of where you would get what's called a JNOV, where you ask the judge to make the verdict conform to the law. And in a civil case, that's much easier. But eventually that case settled. My, my, my friend 
simply told the manufacturer, uh, no, we're going to settle the case, and you're going to cut my client a check and buy the car back, pay my attorney fees, blah, 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 blah. And they worked it out. But somebody could have looked at those jury instructions before they were handed to the jury and said, oh, wait a second. If you find in favor of the plaintiff on the Lemon Law and award the full purchase price, you may stop because your work is done here. And then you might say, but Steve, why do you have a four or five count complaint then? Well, the Lemon Law has got some specifics in it that some people don't always hit. So what if the vehicle was horribly defective, but there was a defect in the last chance letter sent by the plaintiff? Well, the Magnuson Moss Warranty Act doesn't require a last chance letter. So you could technically lose on a technicality on the Lemon Law, but still win in the Magnuson Moss Warranty Act. And the four laws that I cited earlier kind of descend like that where they become less and less specific with the requirements, but they also become slightly harder to prove, I think. So in that case, my friend was joking with me about it. And he goes, he goes, you know, we could have spotted this, but we didn't. Who would have thought that would happen? Who would have thought? So somebody sitting down between the prosecutor and the defense in this case should have said, oh, we have a problem here because we've got this form written in such a way that they could give us contradictory answers on the mental state of the defendant. He is insane here. He is not insane here. And so they could have broken that out some other way, but they didn't. And the fact of the matter remains that the man was put on trial. A jury rendered its verdict. And the verdict was upheld briefly, but then overturned by the Georgia Supreme Court. And the question then becomes, can they try him a second time? And I believe it does put him in double jeopardy. I don't think they can, personally, but we'll see what happens. But it's a fascinating story. And uh, again, the mistakes that were made here were made by not the jury, but the people who drafted the jury instructions given to the jury. And that ain't the defendant's fault, I don't think. So Hunter Riggle wrote that for the Rome News Tribune. U.S. Supreme Court hears Northwest Georgia murder case. Bill Senate, thanks a lot. As soon as the opinion comes down on that, I'll do a follow-up video, I assure you. Questions or comments, put them below. Let's talk to you later. Bye-bye. Thank you for watching Lato's Law. Slow down and enjoy life. Otherwise, you may forget where you're going and why.